Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. I've titled uh, the message this morning. Actually, some of you may remember if you were here December 31st, the last day of the year of last year, I, I preached a message on what I believed was going to be the the theme for this particular year for the body of Christ at Global River. And there were two major scriptures. The first one I shared, which titled the message, I have the December 31st, it says, year 2018, that we were to love God and love people, walk in the Spirit. And the verse was Ezekiel 1.12, which is the wheel within a wheel. It had been prophesied over me back in, two, I think it was 2003, I have it marked in my Bible, lady came up to me, said she heard the audible voice of God, that um, we were to be that people who would walk within the wheel within a wheel and move in all directions as the Holy Spirit directed us, and we would never have to turn around. There would be all these different ministries. Um, and then the last scripture that in the bottom of that I shared was that of Hosea, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, he transforms the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. That scripture has become more real and more relevant. It'd be four weeks tomorrow, my, our son Daniel was murdered. And we've been in this transformation place. And I know that he transfer, transforms us and the situations when we walk through the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I want to share with you this morning um, what I believe, and I've had several confirmations. In fact, um, Bill Curry drove in before work today. I was telling Tammy. He said, I got to see you before I, I go in. And he talked about grace in the midst of our storms. And then Lisa this morning, same thing. It was grace, grace. I wanted to share with you. One. And so, and then not knowing the song, this morning that would be sung. I didn't even know we were doing a, a dance, actually. The, even if he doesn't, we will still praise him. There's this situation in life. I want to try to unpack what I believe the Lord is and bring revelation to myself and to my wife and our family. First, I don't know if any of you saw last night uh, the president. He was in Pennsylvania doing his thing. And, uh, man, it was... I don't know, there were 20,000 some odd in the stadium. He's, he was campaigning, and he's, he was in it, right? And uh, the pundits at the end, the negatives were saying, well, you know, he was a, a reality show host, so yeah, he can entertain people. And I just felt that there was this question I had this morning for us. Who is the ultimate reality? Who is he? In fact, Paul says in... Colossians, that set your sights on the reality of heaven where your life is really held. So to go through life, and this is the thing, I've prayed with people on their deathbed, those who renounced God, those who came to that place at the last second of accepting Christ. But I believe to have lived and never come to the revelation of truth is the ultimate tragedy. 
to live your life, to live my life, to live through all of the experience and never come to the ultimate reality of who God is, is such a tragic, sad experience. Now, why does God allow us to go through these trials and tribulations of life? In fact, this morning in pre-service prayer, Jonathan Sellers read out of Psalm 34. I'm, I'm going to ask you to open with me, if you will. Let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 17. The book of Samuel, the first book of Samuel in chapter 17. Most of you could probably recite this story. We, we tell it over and over again about David and Goliath. But the reality of this one hit me this morning. David, who was known as a man after God's heart, here the pages turn, so let me just continue. If you think about life and all the trials and tribulations that we go through, God is preparing us but greater than the preparation, I believe, is the revelation of who He is. And so, if we can get a handle on, as believers, that God parents us differently than we might parent our children, I try to prevent or keep my children and grandchildren from pain. But God often allows us to walk through pain because we get revelation in the midst of our pain. You've heard them probably say that uh, experience is the greatest teacher. You ever heard that one? When you were learning how to drive, first you read the book. You got to learn about all of the signs and all of the things you can't do when you stop, when you go. But you still got to get behind the wheel. You can read about driving on ice, but if you've ever driven in the North Country and hit ice, there's an experiential part of this. That when, uh, if you've seen the movie Sully, the one where the airline pilot lands the U.S. airline, he, there's a bird strike, a full plane load of people. In New York City, he either crashes that plane into the buildings in New York City or he finds a place quickly to land this in the river. And in all of his experience, he was the pilot who had trained on all of these casualty events and he lands that plane without the loss of life. Experience. When I was in submarine training, it's one thing to read about starting up a reactor plant, but when you're several hundred feet below the ocean and there's a flooding event or a fire event, and the reactor scrams, and you've lost propulsion, and you've got a few minutes to get this thing turned around and blow ballast or you die. That's where experience comes in. And people who've experienced these things, to have those people in that midst of us who have had experience in life, and that's exactly what God wants to do in all of the trials and tribulations. You see, we look at these things, keep me from it, God, keep me from it. But even if you don't, that's that place where God says, will you trust me in the storm? Will you trust me in this storm? I want you to look at that second, uh, 1 Samuel 17. David shows up to bring lunch to his brothers, and Goliath is tormenting the armies of the living God. And there's nobody in the mix that will go after Goliath. So David comes and he says in verse 32, 
1 Samuel 32, David goes to Saul, the king, and he says, here's the little shepherd boy bringing the lunch. Um, David says to Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't worry about the Philistine. Saul's response is in 33, says, don't be ridiculous, Paul replies. There's no way you can fight him. It's impossible. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. David persists. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and the goats. You might say, well, what does that have to do with anything? When a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock or a lion comes, I go after it with my club and I rescue the lamb from his mouth. If the, man, if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions, plural, bears, plural, and I do it, I'm going to do it to this pagan Philistine too. Why? Because he's defiled the armies and defied the armies of God. And the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. I want you to get a picture of this. David, the little shepherd boy, who's guarding the flock. He's out there. The lion shows up. The bear shows up. Now, if you've ever faced off, I've killed four bear in my life, but the one that scared me the most was when I was head charged by over a several hundred pound wild boar, and I had to stand my ground, and he died within 10 feet of me. I had to place my shot. If I ran, my guide had run up the tree because he had been gored and had scars from his groin down to his toes. And I got to tell you, from that experience, you learn some things. You need to stand your ground because if you run, you die. This experience with David, he was responsible for the father's sheep. Now, he could have let the lion and the bear carry it. Well, that's just a loss of one to the flock. But David learned some things that one day God was going to take him to a place to was going to open the door in the killing of the Philistine that would open him to his destiny. I don't know what you're going through in your destiny walk right now, but there is a choice. You can stand off and face the lion and the bear, and you can club it to death, or you can run. God says that he wants us to walk in this place and trust him in the midst of our storms. If you'll turn with me to Psalm 23, I've shared this over and over again. I've done it at funerals. But I have to tell you, this psalm means a whole lot more right now. David wrote this years later. He was the psalmist. He was the shepherd boy. He was the warrior. He was the king. And he's the one who had God's heart, and his heart was after God. David writes in Psalm 23, probably one of the most favorite familiar psalms, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in the green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me 
in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil, for thou art with me, and your rod and thy staff comfort me. See, God's got both a rod and a staff. He has the the crooked shepherd's staff that kind of hooks the sheep and says, come on now, over this way. But he has the rod, and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I was reading through a commentary, and there's a raised table. The shepherds, oftentimes, we've seen this in other places in countries like in the Himalayan areas where the goats are freely grazing on the sides of the hills. There's a raised table where they put the hay for the sheep. There's wolves and there are lions and there are critters and predators sitting out there that see the sheep as a meal. But the shepherd's there and he's prepared the table for them in the presence of those enemies. And I believe the Lord does this just as a, in this relationship, this table in the presence of enemies is not in heaven. If you think that's sweet by and by, it's not. There are no enemies in heaven. There's nothing there. We're in the place where he sets the banqueting table right here in the midst of the battleground that you are fighting in right now, the place where you are stuck. And he says, would you come and would you sit with me? He prepares it. He sets the table. I want you to get a picture of the the, the table perfectly set with a banquet. And he says, my daughter, my son, come here. I want you to sit right down. And the scrawny demonic realms of darkness that are all around there that want to devour you, They're sitting there, and God is making a mockery of who they are. That's my children. Those are mine, and you're not going to touch them. That's the table that's been prepared for me and you in the presence. He does that here as a revelation of how good he is as a father. He goes on, and he says, He anoints my head with oil, and my cup runs over. There's another analogy here. There's a process as shepherds, it's called backliner. When you have a wounded sheep, what they do, if you've ever seen an animal when out in the wild, the flies, Beelzebub comes and lands on the wound and brings infection. But what he does, what the shepherd does in the backlining process is he takes the oil and he rubs it on it for healing anointing and it also keeps the flies and the infection that could cause that animal to die. See, he anoints my cup and overflows it. He gives us provision and he gives us healing in the midst of it. He's a good shepherd and he's my shepherd. And then he goes on and he says... Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The New Living says, surely it will pursue me. That goodness pursues me, jumps on me, his goodness and his mercy. Why? Because at the end of this thing, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
David knew something. He had witnessed a whole lot. He'd witnessed tragedy, the death of his son Absalom, the, the betrayal, all of the stuff that had occurred there. Turn a few pages to the right to Psalm 34. It's interesting. At pre-service prayer this morning, Jonathan read part of Psalm 34. But here's another Psalm of David. And I just want to highlight for you verse 19. Psalm 34, 19 in the New Living Translation. Well, I'm going to do King James first. Verse 19, Psalm 34 says, Many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, I got to tell you, I don't really like that. Why does that have to be in there? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Look at verse 21. It says, evil shall slay the wicked, and they shall that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The New Living Translation, verse 21 says, Calamity will surely overtake the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Man, this jumped off the page at me. We, the righteous ones, have afflictions. You've been flick, afflicted with trials and tribulations, but calamity comes to the evil ones. There's a difference between being afflicted and going through valleys of trouble and for forming under the calamity hand of God. And so what's the purpose of all the afflictions? I said, Lord, why the afflictions? Why do we have to go through the troubles and the trials, the tribulations of life? Couldn't you just make it really nice? And of course he does. But he works best. Philippians 1 says in verse 6, to him who began the work in you performs it until the day comes. His best performance, unfortunately, is in those places. When you go through a tragedy, all of life, all the noise just kind of shuts down and you get focused. So I used to preach these sermons. Now I get to live them. Why don't you turn to John 18 for a moment. I want you to see that the ultimate, I believe, reason for us to walk through these things is Jesus tells us why. In John chapter 18, let's, let's look at this again familiar. Let's look at 33 just to set up in the essence of time here, Pilate, Jesus has been arrested. They drag Jesus, the Jewish hierarchy, the high priest. They've brought him to Pilate because only the Romans can execute someone. But the, high, the, the leaders of the religious guard, they want Jesus dead. Pilate's trying to sort out why. And so in verse 33... Pilate goes back to his headquarters, and he calls for Jesus to be brought in. And he asks the question to Jesus. Pilate says, 
are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers, is that your question, or did the others tell you about me? Pilate says, am I a Jew? Pilate retorts, your own people and your leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this earth. It's not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight. They would stop the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So you are a king, Pilate asks. Jesus responds, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and I came into the world to testify of the truth. And all who love the truth recognize what I say is true. Pilate says, what is truth? You know that they crucify him. But Jesus said, I came that they might know the truth. I believe the greatest tragedy is to go through life and never come to the revelation of who he is in our truth. Turn back to Peter. This scripture in context has great meaning now. In 1 Peter in chapter 1, we know that Peter writes 1st and 2nd Peter as his last will and testament. He knows that he's going to be killed by Nero. He writes in verse 6, 1 Peter 1, 6, So be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through the many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him, even though you've never seen Him. Though you don't see Him now, you trust Him, and you rejoice with a glorious, unexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. In the outline, this is where the Lord transforms the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. John shared at men's group on Monday night. John, that was awesome. I've been ruminating on it over and over. He shared, handed out scriptures to all the men we shared. But John said something that just resonated with me. He and Terry are not believing anything about this cancer and the diagnosis that's been given to him. And they've been standing in faith. It's one thing to preach about faith. It's another thing to walk through faith. John, you said this. See, hope is for the future. It's something we hope in the glory of Christ. We hope in the resurrection. We hope. We have a great hope. He says, you know, encourage yourself in the hope. 
we have this great hope. But faith is for right now. It's the now faith that I must have to walk through. So when your faith has been tested in the now, it produces a glorious crown for you on the day. And I I get this picture that on that day when he says, well done, thou good and faithful servants, come and inherit. And when he comes to you and he you stand there before him, it's like, what do I give you, God? It's going to be all the crowns of those things you walked through that you didn't lose your faith in the midst of the battle. You stood firm. Those are going to be the glory crowns. He says, if you, he says in Romans 8, 17, Pastor Terry gave this to me this week on suffering. He said, in Romans 8, 17, it says that if we are heirs and joint heirs, he also says this, Many times, if your heirs enjoyed heirs of the children of the promise, and we will glory in his and share in the glory, we must also share in his suffering. Why did Jesus have to endure the cross for the joy that was set before him? I don't know. He's God and I'm not. And there's this place that we get to walk through. If you look at your outline We can't always control what happens to us, but we can control what goes on inside us. There are so many things, the things I wished or could. How much of your life you planned, you think, a lot of it doesn't work out that way. So the question is, if you've been dealt this hand, you may not be able to understand or really comprehend all of what happens to us but you can control what goes on in here. And I realize now, that second paragraph, how we handle God's blessing and favor in our lives is a test. What you do with the blessings of God is a test. Do you squander what's been given to you or do you pour it out? There's a test in all that. But I believe how we handle walking through the valley of the shadow of death brings a more genuine revelation of your true heart position in God. There are those who I've walked with who no longer believe in God because they were wounded, hurt. The circumstances said God wouldn't do that, and they've actually walked away from their faith. People I ministered to who were pastors who no longer serve God because they let the bitterness and the uncertainty and the anger and the resentment that God can't be good in this. Therefore, I judge God. We know Job in that story in Job where Job loses everything. He loses 10 children. He loses his wealth. He loses his home. He loses his health. And, of course, his church friends, they come and want to tell him, you must be in sin. You've done this and done that. That's why it's all come upon you. Job, even his wife, when she looks at the boiled face of this guy, she says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job challenges, he says, maybe I need to complain against God. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And I love in the scripture there in Job, it's like 38, 39, God appears to Job and he says, Job, can you tell me how the foundation of the world was formed? 
Can you tell me where the sea keeps its boundary? Can you tell me how the animals respond in the way they do, how they give their... Have you ever done anything like this, Job? No, sir. Then how can you challenge and question me? I'm God and you're not, Job. And then I love the statement Job makes. Even to his wife, he says, Though God would slay me, yet will I trust him. If you're getting anything out of this, it's that place where you just need, we need to trust God in the midst of all of it. I've titled just above number one there. This is the place where we move from information to revelation and from pain to praise. Ron Bertram sends out a a little text every morning to to the men. One this past week that I just latched on to, he says, true praise in the midst of your trials, I'm paraphrasing what Bill Johnson said, true praise in the midst of your trial can only be given on this side of heaven because there is no pain in heaven. So therefore, those who praise God in the midst of the storm, in the midst of this horrible pain, that's true worship. It's that place where it's not fake. It's not fake. It's faith. Either we believe what he said in the midst of that storm and we say, God, I don't know. I don't like it. You could change it in the midst. You could say right now as the dance showed us, you could change that right now. I don't even have the faith to stand on the stage to do what you said. But even if you don't, yet will I trust you. When logic and reason no longer work, there's a real opportunity for worship. It's true worship. My son's favorite song, his Christian song, was I'll Praise You in the Storm. My son had a lot of storms in his life, a lot of struggles. Pastor Mike preached last week, it's not over. Offering that sacrifice of praise, this side of heaven, James 1 speaks of that. We know that God does parent us differently than we want to parent. We want our children shielded from all the pain. But God says, no, you need to walk through this instead of shielding us. In fact, Isaiah 30, we won't turn there, verse 20. I've listed there under number 3. Isaiah 30, verse 20 says this. The Lord gave me adversity for food and suffering for drink. But he will still be with you to teach you to hear and to see. He's teaching us to see and to hear differently. Praising God when we don't feel like it. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, praise God in all things. And it really has a way of just kind of shutting down all the noise of life, things that used to matter so much and all the things we get all wound up about. In the midst of these kind of storms, it has a way of narrowing right down to that doorway of hope. I want us to look at another scripture here. In Luke 22, if you turn there, 
another revelation is this illusion of strength that we think we all have. I think we could learn a lot from Peter here. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus has just brought revelation at the Last Supper, and he tells them that they're about to see him go through this trial of the reason he had come to live and now to die. Verse 28, those who had abandoned him in the past, remember in John 6 where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, it says many abandoned him. And he turned to the disciples and said, will you leave me too? So where will we go? You have the, the truth and life. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He says in verse 28, you have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Peter, that must have been a really, yay. Now he calls him Simon, Simon here. He doesn't call him Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, verse 31, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Here's the illusion of strength. Peter, the, the strong one, the big one, the thick one. Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'll even die with you. Oh, Peter, let me tell you something. Even tonight, three times, you will deny me. You'll fear for your life and you'll deny me. And then we see in that brokenness, the betrayal, the Peter, he's so ashamed. Uh, he heard the sermon as you and I have heard, it says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father in heaven. If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. He heard that sermon. And yet when it came down, even the little girl who said, you're one of them, he said, no, no. So what does Peter do? He goes back to his old life. Turn with me to John 21. In John chapter 21, the Lord has already appeared to them several times after the resurrection. And in chapter 21, let's pick up in verse 1. It says, Later Jesus appears again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. So John's writing this account. Several of the disciples were there with Simon Peter, Thomas, the one named the twin, Nathaniel of Cain of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, John and James and John, John's writing it. And Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. So he goes back to, his, remember, he was a commercial fisherman before Jesus said, come and follow me. And he dropped his net and followed him. Now it's after all of that, he's gone back to fishing. At dawn, because they fished all night, Jesus is standing at the beach and the disciples, they couldn't see who he was, so they're out at sea on the sea. Have you ever been to Galilee? They're way out. They're, they set the nets. They fished all night. And Jesus yells out to them, have you caught any fish? 
No, they replied. Well, then throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul it all in. There were so many fish. John turns. I love it. He says, the one who loved Jesus, <laughs> the disciple whom he loved. That's got to irritate Peter, right? Anyway, the, verse 7, the disciple Jesus loved says to Peter, it's the Lord. Simon Peter heard that, puts on his tunic, dives in the water, and swims to shore. He finds breakfast ready, waiting for them, fish cooking over the charcoal fire with some bread. Bring some of the fish that you've caught, Jesus said. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net had not torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus says. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus serves them the bread and the fish. This is the third time he had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And you're familiar with the scripture. He turns to Peter and he says, do you love me? The three times in the betrayal and the three times he asks him, do you love me? Instead of Peter saying, I'm ready to go and die and do everything, I'll go to the mission field. The third time he's asked that question, I think it's so telling. Peter says in verse 17, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he prophesies to him, when you're old, you're going to go and they're going to take you where, they don't want, where you don't want to be taken and they're going to kill you, but it's going to be for my glory. Your promise to die for me, it's going to happen. It's going to happen on my time. It has to be done from a place of love, Peter, not from your arrogance and your thinking of source of strength. It's going to be because you love me. So now feed my lambs, feed my sheep. The Lord is so good in his word to allow us to walk in these places. So get over the illusion, number six, get over the illusion of strength and learn from the Apostle Peter. Not everything works out as we want, but God doesn't waste anything. That Roman scripture in Romans 8, he doesn't cause all things, but he causes all things to work out for good. So we can't always control what happens, but we can control what goes on inside. He's God, and we're not. So I started this by saying what a tragedy to go through life and not have the revelation of the truth of God and who He is. Ultimately, we've got to come to the place of knowing He's God. He's God. We're not. All we have to do is walk with Him.
He'll lead us through the valleys, but he leads us to the still-watered places, and he causes us to lie down with him. He protects us in the midst of the trials of all the enemy plans. He's got a rod. He's got a staff. He's the rescuer. He's coming. We may be wounded. He still allows us to be healed. He keeps away all the darkness in that place. But ultimately, like David knew, you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let's stand. I want to actually stay there for a second. Stay there for a second. I, I wasn't sure I was going to do this, but I, I, I want to, I'm going to ask Jim Parker if he'll, he'll key this up. I want to play this in tribute to my son. I, we did it the night at the funeral, and I thank all those who came and have been such a comfort in praying for all of us. And my son battled a lot of places. I want to honor his name this morning. We've had we've found two of his Bibles, and my wife's been. We do our uh, devotional time in the morning. His Bible's loaded with underlines and comments about my family, and wow, God! And there was a time when he, I forget how many treatment times he went through. Eight? How many treatment times? He, eleven or twelve times he was in treatment over twenty-five years, addicted at age eleven. And in those highs and those lows and those battles, this song, he said, I know that you are with me in my storms. And so I want to ask you, I know that you're in certain things in your life right now. You've, some of you walk through some really difficult storms. Those who have lost children have come and, or lost loved ones have come and said, look, there's really no words. I had a call this morning uh, uh, this week from a, a man who, I'll just leave it there. He's part of the investigative part of this. And anyway, he, he shared with me about the loss of his year, brother who was a year older than him. And he said, you know, Tom, when I lost my 18-year-old brother, I was 17. And my mom, it was the hardest thing she ever walked through in her life. And she told me, Son, later in life, he's now in his late 40s, says, you never get over it. You just learn to walk through it. So I don't know what battle you're in right now or what battle might come across your pathway. But God is able, in the midst of the storm, if we will not give up, may God's face shine upon you and give you rest this week. Blessings with God. Thank you.